part of what I love about work and working with other people is taking risks and going out there on um, and, and taking a leap of faith, if you will, for an activity or for an endeavor or for a professional relationship, pushing it to the limit. And you can't push it to the limit if somebody is holding your feet to the fire and saying, if you fail, you're doomed. Welcome to Improv is No Joke podcast, where it is all about becoming a more effective communicator by embracing the principles of improvisation. Your host is Peter Margaritas, the man whose name is pronounced like a cocktail, but spelled like an inflammation. Peter is the self-proclaimed chief edutainment officer of his business, The Accidental Accountant. Peter's goal is to provide you with thought-provoking interviews with business leaders so you can become an effective improviser, which will lead to building stronger relationships with clients, customers, colleagues, and even your family. So let's start the show. Welcome to episode 98. And my guest today is Scott Palmer, who's the executive director of adult learning at Butler Technology and Career Development Schools. We discuss how the principles of improvisation has helped Scott to create a collaborative environment with his team, with his students, and with the institution. During our conversation, make sure you listen to our discussion on how he handles those conversations with angry consumers. He shares some great tips and techniques during this discussion. So without further ado, let's get to the interview with Scott Palmer. Hey, welcome back. Um, I'm real excited today because, one, I don't have to do this on the computer, so there's no buffering or anything because we're in my studio in my house, and I'm here today with a good friend of mine. We go way, way, probably too far back. I'm here with Scott Palmer, and Scott, thank you for taking time to spend some time with me at my house having this conversation. Well, thank you for the invite, Pete. I always enjoy the conversation, and uh, this has been on the calendar for a long time, so I'm I'm looking forward to getting today started and talking about some improv. Yeah, we were uh, talking about almost two years ago about this this interview, and just life kept getting in the way, but I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad we can have the conversation. Why don't you give uh, the audience a little bit of your background, Scott? Uh, Yes. (laughs) So I've, I've done adult education for about 23 years. And the part I love about uh, working with adults is being a part of helping them to realize a lifelong goal, whether it's pursuing a degree or completing a certificate or getting a job. And so as part of that, I'm an administrator at a school in Southwest Ohio, and I get to uh, be a part of that that uh, bringing a plan to action every day and seeing them come in. And one reason why I initially chatted with Pete about his book, Improv is No Joke, uh, I was one of the suckers who bought it off of Amazon. (laughs) Appreciate that dollar. (laughs) And and it was, uh, as soon as I saw it uh, out there, I I picked it up and had it sent to me through speedy delivery. And I will tell you that it did not disappoint me. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you got the book. Scott and I met each other Many years ago, we were both at Ohio Dominican University, and we both have left, and he's now, can I say, Butler Tech is where you're located? That's right. Yeah. And um, he bought the book, and I don't know, it was a phone call or a conversation that we had that you were giving it a lot of kudos. 
I don't know why. <laughs> uh, yeah, but yes, the, the book certainly did um, have an impact on me. Um, it really, I can't believe I'm saying this to Pete, but it did change the way in which I interact with others. How, how was that? Well, I through reading the book, I, I really what struck me was how to communicate and how to empathize with people, how to use empathetic listening and empathetic speaking in working with other people and putting people almost on a stage where they're number one and utilizing basic principles of improvisation to respond to people and to anticipate what they're really going to say. Yeah, and, and we were chatting before we got started, and Scott's got a lot of, uh, in his background, on working with people, diffusing situations. I think if I said, you've always known that you've been, you've been an uh, improv person for a long time, I, I think... When you read the book, you went, well, I'm doing this already, but yeah, I get it. Well, what it, what it did was I, I've always responded to people utilizing improvisation without really knowing it. And what the book did for me was affirm within me a thought that I need to have this discussion with other people and to show them how to utilize improvisation and to communicate for the other person rather than for themselves. Yeah, and we were talking... You said, especially in the role that you are as an executive director at, at Butler Tech for Adult Education, you, your customer, your student, is not always happy. And you you mentioned something like well, they come in and they're angry and whatever, and you just sit there and listen to them because they really just want to be heard. And by doing this is one of the ways that you diffuse those types of conversations. That's correct. And so you bring up a really great point here, Pete. And it has to do with angry customers. And somebody comes in and they, they do just want to be heard. A problem, however, is that with many people is their immediate reaction to angry people is to get defensive. Right. And that is the worst thing that somebody can do is to get defensive with another person. It doesn't go anywhere. And so what I've tried to do with, with my staff, and and I've tried to be very cognizant of how I interact with other people is how can I disarm another person without them even knowing that they're being disarmed? Right. And how do you do that? I mean, you're listening to them and you're hearing them, but how do you disarm them with them not even know that you've done that? Utilizing a lot of empathy, utilizing words such as I understand, asking somebody, a customer, or asking anybody, what would you like to see happen? Oh, okay. And and trying to carve out a boundary of, of the possible and the impossible, but giving the other person the opportunity to be a part of a solution. They're being heard, and now they're being part of the solution, which I, that, that is outstanding because I I know it's I I work on it a lot when somebody comes after me, mad at me. I, I can feel the emotion. I can feel the I can feel the defensiveness come in, and and, and I can feel it start to take off my body. And I I literally have to breathe, and put that person away in my body, and just take a calming aspect because I know they just want to be heard. But I love what you just added. You're getting them part of the solution. 
And related to this, Pete, I have three daughters at home. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I have three daughters at home, uh, ages 12, 8, and 8 currently. <laughs> 12, 8, and 8. I saw I take those are twins. That's right. <laughs> Not Irish twins, but twins. <laughs> but what I find, even, even in communication with my girls, my daughters, is the idea of having them be part of any decision and giving them, giving them choices. Um, this is uh, the key to utilizing improvisation in a, in a moment and allowing, in this case, my daughters to be part of a plan and disarming them of any defenses that they have about not throwing coats in the in the middle of the kitchen or picking up multiple pairs of shoes from the <laughs> living room is having them be part of the plan and, and allowing them to see the benefit of having a clean house mm-hmm. and of, of the of the great benefits of things that come from it. Right. And as you're sitting there describing that, um, having them part of that solution and stuff, instead of, you know, I, when, when I grew up, Mom, I'm sorry if you listen to this, but when, when we grew up, we were told what to do. We were not part of, well, what do you think we should do? As you know, that my son was diagnosed as type 1 diabetic, January of 2017. And through this process, when his blood sugar is out of whack, I ask him, what do you think you should take? Instead of you need to take that. And and I, I've got some, I know some folks out there who, parents who kind of micromanage that process. And, and somebody asked me, why do you do that? Well, he's eventually going to move out. He's eventually going to move out of the house. Let me repeat that for Stephen if he's listening. You're eventually going to move out of the house. But I want you to go through that process of making those decisions on your own and being part of the solution. And if it's wrong, then we learn from that. It's all about empowerment, Pete. Bingo. And the example that you've given is, is its basic principles of the empowerment and the importance of empowerment in making decisions that are good decisions. Um, but also in, in working through solutions with people of trying to empower them to be part of part of that um, search for a, a reasonable solution. So you've worked in a number of organizations. And have you ever worked in an organization where failure was not, a, not part of the process? Failure was unacceptable? Failure was unacceptable. Um, that that's interesting. Yes, I, I have been part of that culture, and I found it to be absolutely detrimental to me. Part of what I love about work and working with other people is taking risks and going out there on um, and, and taking a leap of faith, if you will, for an activity or for an endeavor or for a professional relationship. Pushing it to the limit, and you can't push it to the limit if somebody's holding your feet to the fire and saying, "If you fail, you're doomed." Right. That's a part of the old world thinking of a century ago uh, that I would suggest is counterproductive today. Yeah, and I think as this, that's where you know, this world of improv really comes into play because it allows for failure. And as you see on my uh, whiteboard over here, somebody gave me the acronym for FAIL, First Attempt in Learning. And I keep that in front of me, and I use that because, one, when I fail, I have to go to the the board, the, the the chair of my board, my wife, and uh, I have to tell her why I failed, and, and and bring that solution to how we're going to fix it and move forward with it. And uh, but I think that's one of the issues today in corporate America that people are afraid to take risks 
because then they'll be blamed and they'll be held, you know, with, with that finger pointing at them. It's more punishment than praise. Well, it's easy. It's easier. And that's a great point, especially by the chair chairperson of your board. <laughs> that's a great example that hits home. You know, but people are afraid to take risks in a lot of cases and, and they're, they live in their, the comfort of their own sort of circle uh, without a willingness to step outside of that circle to take risks. No, think about failure. Think, I mean, in, in the improv, it's all about taking risks. Right. And if we don't take risks, a, a, a good friend of mine, Jennifer Elder, shared a quote with me that, that's resonated. Staying in your comfort zone, that's where your dreams die mm-hmm. without getting outside that comfort zone. But when you get outside that comfort zone, you are going to fail. And in improv, we, we accept failure. But we also know that I've got my team around me that's going to pick me up and keep moving forward. So this whole bit about failure, if we allowed, if we accepted our people to be one human and being human, they will fail. But then they come back with a solution and being part of the process on how to fix it. I think and not have it look as a punishable offense, especially if it's the first time, and create something out of it. That also, in essence, is part of the world of improv. Well, yeah, I just had two thoughts uh, based on what you just said. Um, there was a great quote, and we should ask Alexa or Siri or whatever these uh, whatever these <laughs> things are called. But Alexa, who said to err is human? Here's something I found on Wikipedia. An essay on criticism is one of the first major poems written by the English writer Alexander Pope. It is the source of the famous quotation, The Earth Human, To Forgive the Vine, A Little Learning is a Dangerous Thing, and Fool's Russian, Where Angels Fear to Tread. Did that answer your question? It did. Are you available for coffee later? Sorry, I didn't get that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Alexa. Thank you, Alexa. With regard to challenges or problems, people are not going to react well unless a proposed solution is on the table. What I mean by that is if a problem is identified within an organization and management knows about it, management is not going to appreciate a problem being brought to their attention unless a solution is attached to it. Mm-hmm. And linked back to the idea of two errors human, a lot of potential solutions may lead to a potential failure. But any organization that's any good has to recognize this concept of solutions-oriented problem-solving and also the idea that two errors human. And I've shared this on the podcast before, but you just took me back to when I used to work at Victoria's Secret Catalog. Not as a model. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I, I made a major error in one of my spreadsheets. And I panicked and I, I went and told my boss and, and my boss had this aura about her and people kind of feared her. I, I didn't. I liked her because I could make her laugh, but I thought I was going to be chewed up and spit out. And I went in and told her I, what my problem was and expecting the Tasmanian devil to come out. She looked at me as calmly as you looking at me across this table right now. But then she said these words, what's your solution? Remember, I said I panicked. I forgot to breathe. I forgot to think. I wanted to get in front of this before. Oh, my God. And then I could just see her turn into the Tasmanian. And I walked in with a 36-inch waist. I walked out with a 32-inch waist. She says, come back in an hour with a solution. I came back an hour later. And I had a solution. Was it right? Not even close. 
However, it took us down a path of finding the solution. Well, Pete, ne- related to your uh, corset that you wore on the way out, <laughs> um, what that does is nobody likes problems, but what helps to disarm a reaction is to have a solution. Whether it's going to be 100% fail proof or not, a well thought out solution. Right. And I asked, I use that example a lot, and I ask folks in my audience, are you solving your people's problems? Are they coming to you with a problem without a solution? And also, how, how are those people empowered to be part of the solution process? And in the solution process is the L word, listening. Right. And not listening and parking that agenda, which is one of the big things in improv. You, you need to, whatever, park that agenda, listen to the person that's listening to understand or, or old school active listening in order to understand it, as you've used the word, empathize with them and understand them, then move forward and try to find that solution. One thing that this this book and this concept, Improv is No Joke, has really caused me to do is to think about how I communicate with others and how my fellow staff members communicate with others. And to that end, we have established norms, expectations of behavior for communication, for written for email and in person and on the phone. What what kind of norms are those? What what can you share one or two of them with us? There are expectations of what we believe an audience would expect from us. If we receive an email or a phone call, respond within 24 hours. Make sure that the email is written for the other person so that the other person will understand what's going on. So you're you're writing for your audience. You're not writing for yourself. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. And that's something I've always tried to do myself, but I've really tried to empower, work to empower fellow staff members in having them to utilize communication and, and in, a, in a way of, of being a tool, of, of getting others as a call to action. This whole aspect, I, I just, I read a book not too long ago, I don't know if you read it, called Made to Stick by Chip Heath. He talks about that you're cursed. Not voodoo cursed, but you're cursed with knowledge. You can't unlearn what you've already learned. Right. However, this curse, we want to talk in that same language, but that audience may not have that same competency that we have. And writing to the audience, to their level of competency in a manner that they can understand goes a long way in in helping come up with solutions. We all receive angry communications because (laughs) email is the easiest way to communicate when we're angry, to send out a, what do they call it, a flame mail or a fire mail. (laughs) A flame mail. And, um, you know, we we see it all the time in in the workplace uh, in America today. And the easiest way to disarm that is to write back with a great amount of empathy Mm -hmm. and to focus on the person on the other side. In a lot of cases, suggest a face-to-face meeting. Yeah. And usually that is a disarming mechanism for putting out the flame. Right. But I I think you alluded to this earlier. When you do have that face-to-face meeting, they they might come in with this angriness. And you're already prepared to go, so let me hear it. And then once they get it out, once they get that emotion out, then rationalization jumps back into their body. 
and it's seeing that. We were talking before we got started. It was about now, I guess, a year and a half, almost a year and a half ago. I went down and did uh, a session with your with your team. And we've all been in therapy ever since. <laughs> exactly. I'm sorry for that extended cost that we had for you. But it was an in-service day, and you invited me to come down and spend half a day with your team. Great team, and it was all about improv. They looked like they were having a good time. I hope they had a good time. It was great, Pete, in all seriousness. We really did enjoy having you visit with uh, with our team at Butler Tech. And one one thing that really came out of that was a thought for everybody, and we still we still talk about it is is the idea of communication and how to how to focus on the audience more so than you know as we talked about a little bit ago as opposed as opposed to just getting the message out there. But really, how do you how do you engage with the audience? How do you engage with customers to have a pos a positive um, solution on the back end? I think a lot of that goes to how you were brought up, but I don't mean it like mother and father and family. Did you work in customer service? I mean, I'm Greek. I've been, I was in restaurants. My first job at 12 years old was a busboy in a restaurant. And you start learning how to interact with folks. And I've always said in the accounting profession, quit sending them for internships to these firms to go make copies and see what's in Send them to a restaurant, send them to a bar, send them to retail for a year. Yeah, for me, I, I spent a lot of time um, growing up playing on sports teams. And so whether it was basketball, baseball, or football, I was a terrible athlete. Um, but one thing that one positive net result that came from that was the idea of working in a team. Working in a team. And working toward a, a positive result. Going back to improv, going back to your team and, and that day, I mean, I got them outside their comfort zone. That's right. We, we were, we, at one point, we were in a circle throwing a beach ball, a, a bouncy balls, and, and things were flying and, and they were laughing, but I think they understood what was going on. What they did with that activity, and they took a video of it. But what they, I think my staff, did with that activity was understand the essential nature of teamwork and that none of us are going to be successful unless we all work together. And that's a, that activity was terrific for breaking down silos that people had hid behind for years and years. Yeah. It's, I, I love doing that exercise because one it's in the exercise, you get about six people in a circle. I start them off throwing a beach ball at one another and they, they have to say beach ball when the person catches that to say thank you so they do that for a moment or two and then i throw a bouncy ball in same thing they have to bounce it the person catches it thank you but the beach ball's going at the same time then i bring in a squishy ball so there's three objects with five or six people then i bring a frog or a duck and i get about if there's seven people i get about six objects going and there's going all over the place and some person may have three or four things that they're holding somebody else is not holding anything and it really goes into uh, that whole aspect of team building, recognizing when someone's overloaded and someone's not, recognizing to say thank you, even just a thank you That's in, right. in the process. And that, you know, the idea of, of being grateful and the simple act of saying thank you and saying please mm -hmm. and showing respect through communication, that goes a very long way especially when working with students or working with customers and that in this society today, it's been forgotten. The simple gesture of being polite. 
and respectful because respect is one of the foundations of improvisation. I don't have to like you, but I have to have respect for you because when I can do that, I can actually listen. And one of the things with communication is with the listening and respect. If I I don't like you or or there's some bias, I don't care what you say. It's lost. It's lost, completely lost. But if you can park that and, and, and... show that person respect and, and listen without any bias, you can get a lot further. Yep. And solve problems. It goes from being angry and I like the word that you use, Pete, was park. You know, park any sort of attitude um, and work towards a solution and trying to figure out what does the other person want and what can I do within the uh, simple codes of ethics and morals to get there. Yeah, it's um, but I but if we think about organizations, and this is something that came up recently, when you're a startup and you've got a group of folks who are, are trying to build a company, you've got a lot of listening, you've got a lot of empathy, you got a lot of teamwork going on. But as that organization gets bigger and bigger, and we've got layers and layers and layers, that whole listening, that whole teamwork, that whole build and fail kind of goes away, right. and it becomes this behemoth activity full of red tape and all the decisions are coming from above and not including everybody in that discussion. Yeah. I mean, it, it, they lose their reason for being, and they forget, they forget about it. They've lost the, what was successful in getting them started was the concept of a common belief. So with, with that, with that aspect of, you know, as organizations get bigger, I think one of the things they, need to, they they say they focus on, but I don't know how well they do it because we got authority now. And authority is one of those biases that we have that I have authority over you. I don't have to really listen to what you say. You can talk all you want to. I, I think we need to go back to that startup mode to say, I need everybody's opinion. You know, the collective knowledge outside of your office far exceeds the collective knowledge inside of your office. And we need to become more collaborative in nature. It, it's a mess. It, it absolutely is a mess. And it, it, there are a lot of situations of broken culture out there. And the broken culture exists because people have independent agendas. They've lost their ability to believe in, the, believe in a common direction of an organization and of serving others well. So let's take that concept. And when you went to Butler Tech and took this role, you had to create a new culture. We all, because when we went to those roles, and from my observation, when I came out there the first time to visit you, you've created a very collaborative culture that people aren't afraid to come up to and, and talk to you, even though you're 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 a big guy. I mean, what do you you go six five? I'm five eighteen. Please. <laughs> No, so, and that's just it. And I've been part of it, been part of trying to change a culture with my team of serving others. And one thing that I've really pushed and we've all pushed each other on is how to exceed the expectations of our customers, how to exceed the ways in which our customers are treated throughout the entire time that they have a relationship with our school, how to exceed expectations in every step along the way of working with internal and also external stakeholders. Are we always going to be right? Are we always going to be correct? Are we always going to move the organization forward? That's my hope. But the, the, to really fail is to uh, fail at the first attempt in learning. It, it, it's all about taking risks, but it's the right thing to do. We learned from the Gospels a long time ago yeah. that we have to treat each other well. 
that we have to treat others um, as though we'd otherwise like to be treated. And so that is is the core of um, our belief in in working with customers and in creating a culture that our students will then turn around and incorporate in the workplace. A case in point, we train police officers. Police officers nowadays work in an incredibly dangerous uh, environment out there. And if they don't understand the basics of communicating with the community as a group and as an individual, if they don't treat members of the public with respect, they're doomed to fail from day one. And so it starts and ends when they walk onto our campus that we have an environment built on trust and respect. And that can only come about uh, two ways. One, the culture that you guys have created. And two, the buy-in that you're getting from the faculty and that belief so they can so they can authentically communicate it to those poli- future police officers, this culture. Uh, a lot of times people don't get the buy-in. And the I'm just going to do it my way. And it just sends this mis- mixed message because if I'm, if I'm thinking like you are, that student, that police officer, ultimately still wears the brand when you're out in the field of Butler Tech. Um, that's correct, but but also, in in your right, the brand the brand certainly is important. But for us, there's a larger importance in that what we are training through our public safety classes is a case of of life and death in many cases, right. and life and death for our graduates of our programs, but also situations of life and death involving others. And so, by ha- by insisting and drawing a line, insisting on a culture of trust and respect we believe that that we are positively impacting the greater good as a result you also train firemen correct firefighters paramedics emts that's correct yeah so that's they're all in harm's way and they're all dealing with the public and they all in that learning process it starts with it starts with you and you've built that process at, at butler tech you said something a moment ago about we want to provide the highest customer service, go f- above and beyond. But that should be the norm for everybody. But I get a, my sense out there is a lot of it's, ah, it's that's just good enough. We can, whatever. And you bring up a great point. People have forgotten how to communicate because of other devices such as Siri and Alex <laughs> and the internet, the technology has allowed us to become lazy and insincere in the ways in which we communicate. And I would suggest to you that that we as people are suffering as a result. One of the most exciting elements, I love what I do, I love my job, I love my organization. But what is most exciting is being a part of a movement that fights against um, the lack of empathy and the lack of communication that is around us everywhere. And it's also made me a lot more uh, attentive to the details that I see out there of going out for a lunch and seeing terrible customer service. I used to not notice it. And now if it's bad enough, in some cases, I will get up and walk out. Yeah. So I travel a lot. I, I, I quit going out. I just get room service most of the time. In Bloomington, Minnesota, 
one restaurant I walked in. It's called Chow Bella. If you're ever in Bloomington, Minnesota, just outside of Minneapolis, Chow Bella. Go to Chow Bella. They get the best customer service. And I go there twice a year. I'm in Minnesota twice a year. That's the only place I eat. And they remember me. And they treat me like I'm family. And they know that I'm not from there. And they get it. And I ask them, how do you guys do this? And they go, it starts from the top. Our owner. He goes, we want to care about people. That's right. And and you bring up a great point. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I love to eat out from time to time, mm-hmm. maybe once a month. Mm-hmm. That's a lie. Um, <laughs> but what I do enjoy doing is I, what I enjoy doing is seeing excellent customer service and responding to the moment and exceeding expectations. And there's no finer place to see it than at a than at a restaurant where tips define performance and performance define tips mm-hmm. and it's it's certainly as a game but for those who are, who pay attention to details and pay attention to the customer it goes a very very long way it does and, and i interviewed a gentleman Bob Pekadovsky, he's uh, out of out of the Akron area. He's got the black tie experience. And we were talking, and we were talking about we're in the people business. He goes, we are, people, but let's take it that step higher. In any business that we're in, we're really in the hospitality business. And that struck home so much because it doesn't matter if you're a law firm, an accounting firm, an organization of any size. We're all in that hospitality business because if I asked you right now, tell me the worst customer service you've ever had, pops right in your head. What's the best customer service you've had, pops right in your head. And if we want to be in the hospitality business, we want to provide that best customer service that is memorable. That's right. And it doesn't matter, as you said, it doesn't matter what line of work you're in, but we live in a land of a land of extremes. And that we remember the worst and we remember the best. And there are a number of great organizations out there, although the great number of organizations out there that thrive on providing that memorable experience for customers. But I, I, this is just a thought. I, I think that the, that number of organizations out there, it's, it's gone to the wayside a little bit in the past 30 or 40 years. They don't exist as, as a national brand like they did years ago. And it, I, I would suggest to you that a lot of it has to do with the impact of social media and having people respond to the moment. Right. Yeah. I, I think we have lost, we have lost, uh, <clears throat> we have lost some still keep it. I mean, I, and I think some, it, they just become complacent. I, I would use the example of Southwest Airlines, Herb <laughs> Keller, yeah. right? Uh, starting the airlines at Love Field really had a, a great concept going uh, for a long time. And for a long time, the Southwest experience that we all had was genuinely a good experience. But they had a couple of incidents that were captured on social media, and they don't have at least in my mind, the stellar image that they had 20, or 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Yeah, I, now as you say, I do remember th- those images. I also remember that, yeah, there's only two airlines I, I like to fly, Delta and Southwest. 
And but there for a while, Southwest became Southwest with the um, when they merged with Airtran, and you merged two cultures, and the cultures collide. I mean, we see it right now in, in, in the airline industry. Uh, when 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 two cultures collide, there's just Delta went through years ago with North Northwest yeah, the airline. Uh, but social media has also taken that up a notch. The guy who uh, when when United broke this guy's uh, guitar and wouldn't fix it. He went out and got the URL United Broke My Guitar and then did a YouTube video about United Broke My Guitar and it went viral and went crazy. Yeah, it's so either fairly or unfairly, but the customer, no matter what area you work in, the customer now has a voice that can be detrimental. And the problem is, is that people like you and I and other people out there, we listen. And so I can't talk to you with the confidence about Southwest that I did years ago. And it's the same way in working with the people uh, in the people business. Not everybody's going to be happy. There are going to be some people who have an ax to grind. But because of the interweb, everybody <laughs> everybody now has a voice uh, and an opportunity to express their opinion, however accurate or dis, um, inaccurate that opinion may be. I, yeah, and actually... I have a, uh, some friends in, in Southwest Florida who somebody wrote a horrible review about the restaurant and it was false, but their intent was to extort money out of them. But this Yelp report or whatever, uh, it was just, it was just wrong. And th- there was no animals in the food or anything like that, but that you, once it's out there, it's, uh, you read that and it's false. Well, now, related to this, and I would ask Alex, but I know that we're on. <laughs> Alex? They got to they say, um, oh, yeah. With, with the missing an I. Yeah. Or an A. Yeah. So, in all honesty, there is a restaurant in London, England, where this guy decided he was going to create reviews on a restaurant that did not exist. Oof. And so he built a profile, an online profile that talked about the exceptional food of this restaurant, gave a phone number, and would take no reservations because they were always booked solid. And people actually went to this restaurant in part of London trying to find this restaurant that they could never find because it did not exist. (laughs) And after we're off the air here... I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna ask Alex about this because I was uh, I was at home one day and I was like I need to try to figure what's what what's going on here. It's a fictional restaurant that did not exist, but it had such positive online presence that it created so much curiosity and traffic. And we looked like uh, as people we look stupid because we believe things uh, that are created online that don't in fact exist. Exist. And for full transparency, it's we're at my house. It's noon. We're talking about restaurants. I'm getting hungry, my friend. What about you? Let's go get some Greek food, baby. <laughs> oh, man. More Greek food. That's all I need. <laughs> Scott, I, I appreciate it. Thank you for taking time to visit with me. Love the conversation. Look forward to future conversations. And uh, let's go get some food. Absolutely, Pete. Thank you for all you do. Man, this book changed my life. Um, And, uh, yeah, let's go find some good Greek food. Have a good day. I would like to thank Scott again for sharing with us the tips and techniques on how to apply improvisation in the workplace. 
the part that really stuck with me was when he describes how he handles angry students by keeping control of his emotions, listening to their story, and makes them part of the solution. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. In episode 99, okay, I need to stop for a moment. When I started this podcast on June 27th, 2017, the very first episode was episode zero. So technically, the next episode will be my 100th episode of Improv is No Joke. In this next episode, the guest will be me. And I have a big and exciting announcement to make. So be sure to tune in. Thank you again for listening. And always remember to use the principles of improvisation to help you better connect, communicate, and build stronger relationships in business and with your family and friends. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.